The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Genesis chapter 41. The second half of Genesis 41 tells the story of Joseph's confirmation as prime minister and how he has moved so suddenly from the dungeon to the palace. It's surely a remarkable promotion. The culmination of the rise from slavery to greatness is probably unparalleled in all of human history. In fact, F.B. Meyer wrote very eloquently about it. He said, quote, It was a wonderful ascent, sheer in a single bound from the dungeon to the steps of the throne. His father had rebuked him. Now Pharaoh, the greatest monarch of his time, welcomes him. His brethren despised him. Now the proudest priesthood in all the world opens its ranks to receive him by marriage into the midst, considering it wiser to conciliate a man who was from that moment on to be the greatest force in Egyptian politics and life. The hands that were hard with the toils of a slave are now adorned with a signet ring. The feet are no longer tormented by fetters. A chain of gold is linked around his neck. The coat of many colors torn from him by violence and defiled by blood. And the garment left in the hands of the adulteress are exchanged for the vestures of fine linen drawn from the royal wardrobe. He was once trampled upon as the offscourging of all things. Now all Egypt is commanded to bow before him. As he rides forth in the second chariot, prime minister of Egypt, second only to the king. And you see, we find the roots of this man in the secret of character. And it's interesting to note that the secret of power is character, but the secret of character is God. This is remarkable demonstration in the life of Joseph. Here was a man brought in one moment from the dungeon and placed in front of the greatest monarch of the world. Yet so great and striking was his character that Pharaoh, though a pagan, immediately perceived that Joseph had something that he and his administration did not have. It was because of his character that power passed into Joseph's hands. And it was because of God that Joseph had this character. And you see, here is the stunning fact about Joseph. While you and I may not be called to be a prime minister or to lead nations or free people from famine, yet the quality of the character that Joseph possessed is offered to every one of us. It's simply to live in obedience to the God who has called us to himself. Now, the circumstances have suddenly changed. And during the days of adversity, Joseph had looked to God and found strength to triumph in every difficult situation. The last 13 years have been nothing but toil and sweat from being hated by his brethren, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison. But now, having triumphed, now having triumphed, he would continue to look to God for strength. Strength to strength. Nothing had 
bad had ever happened to him. In fact, he was never accused of any sin. One of only two people in the entire Bible, Joseph or uh, Daniel being the other one. And the fact that Joseph kept his eyes on God in adverse situations is remarkable. But even more remarkable is the fact that he kept his eyes on God when he was prosperous. I came across a quote this week from J.C. Ryle. He said, quote, Let us pray much for the humility in our days of peace and success. When everything around us seems to prosper and all our plans work well, then when family trials and sickness are kept from us, and the course of our worldly affairs runs smooth, when our daily crosses are light, and all within and without are like a morning without clouds, then, then is the time when our souls are in danger. Many Christians have been impoverished by prosperity. Many have been brought low by promotion. I'll never forget a number of years ago, I went with our former pastor to Cedarville University to hear Jim Cimbala. Most of you know he's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, a church ministry that is known because of its powerful prayer ministry. And uh, we, after the chapel time, there was a, a time for pastors in the area uh, afterwards for question and answer, and so we re- remained there and took it all in. And, and after the normal questions and answers that you might expect from pastors, finally one pastor stood up and he said, he said, Brother Jim, he said, I read in your books the amazing accounts of your midweek prayer service, how the church is packed in the midweek service. In fact, an hour and a half before the doors open, there are lines around the block to get in. He said, in my church, I scarce can get a handful at a midweek prayer time. In fact, I struggle to get people just to be consistent on Sunday morning. He goes, what's different about your church? And I'll never forget Jim's answer as he started with several questions. He said, how many of you got here with your own car today? Most all the hands went up. He said, how many of you have a roof over your head and have clothes to change every day? And all the hands went up. He said, how many of you have three square meals a day? And all the hands went up. And he goes, well, the answer is obvious. You don't need God. You only run to God when there's trouble. He said, you have to understand that so many of my people, not all of them for sure, but so many of them, their salvation was so radical Saved out of prostitution, drug addiction, alcoholism, you name it. Lives so down, so far gone, that their salvation was so radical that in midweek they couldn't get there in time to fall on their faces before God and cry out in thanksgiving and praise. And then spend hours praying for their loved ones who were still stuck in that life. They were desperate for God. You don't need God. And the more I thought about that this week, I realized that Joseph was just the opposite. Oh, he was desperate for God in his terrible situations, but when prosperity came and he's riding in his own chariot with a driver and has a house and a wife and children, he's such as des- such is just the same, just as desperate for God. What makes a man's heart so in love with his Lord? This is why 
countries are declining. The morality of the nation is declining. God is our only source of morality. Not the government, not the courts, not the laws. Goodness flows from God. So if we have God out of our lives, we begin to lose touch with what is so good and what is morally correct. And if Christians will not live God-centered lives, who will? Only the obedient believe. Only the obedient believe. A concrete commandment has to be obeyed in order to come to believe. A first step of obedience has to be taken so that faith does not become pious self-deception or cheap grace. The first step is crucial. It is the qualitatively different from all other steps we take. The first step of obedience has, is what had to lead Peter to drop his nets and come out of the boat and follow Jesus. It was that step of obedience that had John leave Zebedee with his, the caretaker of others and run to follow Jesus. It's the same step when you and I come to Christ and recognize that nothing else matters but him. It's the life of obedience, and Joseph lived a life of obedience. And faith is possible only when this state exists in our hearts. You see, Joseph never stopped obeying. Therefore, he never stopped believing. Our belief struggles when we don't obey God. And fear sets in. In ancient times, a country's coins were minted in a very different manner than which they are today, not using large presses. They were made by melting gold or silver and put into a mold, and then a die was brought down and stamped with the ruler's image or an image of the god they worshipped. And it was a very sloppy process, and much of the coins had extrusions of gold sticking out around the sides. And what used to happen was the people would get these coins and they'd take a sharp knife and they would peel away the extra gold and they would put it in a safe place and save it until they had enough to mint another coin. And they would try to gain money by doing this. It got so bad that in a hundred year period at Athens, they passed 80 laws against trimming coins, which really proved that everybody was doing it. And today, it's almost impossible to find a coin in a museum from that period that hasn't been shaved down. Now, I share this with you because this is what the Apostle Paul was indirectly referring to in 1 Corinthians 9.27, when he said, but I discipline my body, or I beat my body, and keep it under control, lest after preaching the gospel, I should be disqualified. The word disqualified is the Greek word adokemos, which was the term used to describe a coin that had been whittled away. And you see, this is the kind of whittling process that goes on in an individual's life when prosperity gets too great and people begin to compromise and then find acceptable those low standards of behavior that years before would have been unheard of. And as the individual goes down, so goes the church, and then so goes the nation. Joseph was not like this. For this reason, he alone, though one person, was the best thing to happen to the entire nation of Egypt. Joseph was advanced to the highest position of his day, 
But he did not say, well, I'm sitting pretty. Now things are going to go my way. Not at all. Joseph had kept his eyes upon God. Thus, the next thing we hear him saying, after he has interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and has been made prime minister and has been given two beautiful children, we hear him saying in verses 51 through 52, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. The second name, or the name he, the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, next, next week, we're going to look in more detail on those verses about forgetting the past and pressing on to the future. But for day, today, because his eyes were upon God, Joseph maintained his own personal morality and faithfully executed the responsibility of preparing the nation for famine. He was all about God. And so he named his children names that would constantly remind him of who he was and his state in life. The point is clear. If you are to live for God, whether in adversity as he had lived for the last 13 years, or now in prosperity, it must be by the power of God in your life. There is just no other substitute. And the amazing thing is when you study the life of Joseph, in fact, if you study all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you know that God is constantly offering us this grace. He offered his grace for free by coming and dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He offers grace by the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. He offers us everything necessary to be a Joseph. The question is, are we willing to be Joseph? All this, of course, leads to the fact that Joseph is a type of Christ. There are many similarities between Joseph and Christ. I, I hesitate to point them out because in reality, Joseph is a man. Jesus is the son of God. But the similarities are striking. And because Joseph is a fellow human being, we recognize, as I keep saying, that the consistency of his life and the characteristics of his life shine forth what's available to us. And this is why Joseph is recorded in the Bible for our admonition. But some of the ways he is a type of Christ, for, for example, Joseph was rejected by his brethren. Jesus, by his people, the Jews, the brethren according to the flesh. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was cast into prison. Jesus abode in the grave. The two criminals flanking Jesus on the cross find their counterparts in the cupbearer and the baker. Joseph, though a Hebrew by birth and rejected by his own brethren, nevertheless was raised to supreme power in a Gentile state and saved myriads of them from death. Jesus, of Jewish birth and yet disowned by the Jews, had nevertheless been exalted to the supreme seat of power and is now enthroned in the hearts of myriads of Gentiles in whom he has brought salvation from death and spiritual bread for spiritual hunger. 
as the Egyptians were instructed to bow the knee when Joseph approached, so every human will one day bow the knee and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every person in this room this morning, including me, will one day bow the knee before Jesus. You're either going to bow it with praise and thanksgiving, or you will bow it at the judgment seat. Romans eleven fourteen. for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 11, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Today, what does your life confess? As others see you and come in contact with you and the way you conduct your life and everything you do, what is the confession of your heart and life? Now, what's in a name? You, you noticed from the video clip that Pharaoh gave a name specifically to Joseph. There are some commentators who believe that the name given by Pharaoh to Joseph, Zephanath Paniah, literally means savior of the world. But not all interpretations of the Bible hold that belief. The name has been translated abundance of life, revealer of secrets, God's word speaking life, and so on, and every one of them a true characteristic of Jesus. However, in the last generation, important work has been done in the area of Egyptian etymology, and this has suggested that the name Zephaneth Paniah would more accurately be translated, God speaks and he lives. Now, just think about this if this is the true name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph. Because this would speak to the character of God in Joseph that Pharaoh saw. Joseph had said that the ability to interpret dreams came only from God, not from him. And by giving him this Egyptian name, Pharaoh was confessing that to be true, adding that everything Joseph had came about in accordance with God's will and God's power. You talk about a testimony for God? Oh, that this would be the reality in everyone's life who names the name of Christ. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And Pharaoh is a perfect example. Pharaoh was recognizing Joseph. But more importantly, he was recognizing the God of Joseph. And in that, Joseph is one of the greatest witnesses of his time. Imagine a pagan king who considers himself a god. Pharaohs believed that they were god on earth, raw, and people approached him in the very same way. Yet this pharaoh looked at Joseph and he recognized Joseph had something that no one else had, not even his advisors, his magicians his soothsayers. Nobody had it. But he saw this in Joseph. And he gave him a name that recognized the reality that this guy has the real God. Now, coming from a pagan king, that's an amazing statement. It's an amazing reality that Pharaoh brought forth. Now, keep in mind, this is all done before it happens. 
I mean, there's going to be seven years of plenty and then the seven years of famine. But right now, Pharaoh doesn't know any of that's going to happen. But because of the character of Joseph, because of who Joseph has been, and now stating what he has stated, Pharaoh was wise enough to know this God is different. And you know, I say this many times, but to many people, you're the only gospel they'll ever read. So what is the gospel according to you? How do you live your life in the world? How do you walk before men? Do your lips, does your mouth, do they speak of the excellence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives? So as we approach this, I want to spend the remaining portion of this message as an invitation to come to Jesus. God's man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come. And just as the great Pharaoh of Egypt told the starving, worried people of his day to go to Joseph, so does the true king of the universe command men and women everywhere to go to Jesus. You may be here this morning and you have no relationship with God. You may have heard the stories. You may have heard people talk. You may think, boy, it sounds really neat, but it's kind of far-fetched. You'll never understand apart from the illumination of the Spirit. But God is inviting you to come as Pharaoh told the people to go to Jesus. But here's my biggest concern. It's for Christians who claim the name of Jesus but need to come to Jesus. The world has watered us down The things of earth have crept in. And to have the power of a life as Joseph just seems like an Old Testament story from a bygone era that was only for Joseph. Are you hungry for spiritual things? He is the bread of life, John 6.35. Are you thirsty? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, John 7.37. All of Jesus' ministry on earth was to gather people to come to him to know the sweetness of delivery, the victory of a spirit-filled life, a life saved out of the slave market of sin, a life assured of glory. Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Many Christians live heavy laden lives. The things people say, the things people do, the things they cast upon you weigh us down, and we find no way to release it. No way when when Jesus says, come to me, put it on me. My burden is light. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. How many times have we literally forgotten that verse, that we can come to him 
and surrender to him. And he'll never let you go. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. We can go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you're going to find laced through it all these promises of God to come to me. And you see, when Joseph got that dream way back when he was a youth, when he was given that dream and God spoke to him, he clung to that word. And he determined never, ever to be knocked off. Now you just imagine your brothers who you love. Your father said, go out and see how they're doing. And so you go out with full assurance of your father and say, hey, brothers, how you doing? And they seize him and they throw him in a pit. What's going through your mind? They pull him out only because the intervention of God bringing along a, a, a camel train on its way to, to Egypt and they sell him. Easier to sell them than to have the blood on their hands, so they sell them. What's going through your mind as Joseph as you have the necklace of chains around your neck and around your ankles? Oh, I'm going to get even. You just wait. It's not right, God. It's not right. Why do I have to go through this? What did I do? I love you. I took your word. I believed it, and this is what I get. Believes God. He's sold into slavery. Okay, I'm in a slave. I can't change this. But I'm going to be the best slave I can be. You just, God, I am going to just lift you up before these people. And he is such a good slave that Potiphar is amazed. And he turns everything over to him. And he's more prosperous than he's ever been before in his household. This guy works. He's amazing. And he's living for his God. But that evil wife, she falsely accuses him of rape and gets him thrown in prison. That's the last straw. All this bad stuff keeps happening to me. What's the point, God? What's the point? I'm done. But no. I'll trust you, God. I'll believe you, God. And he believes God and in prison does the best he can to serve. And before long, everything in the prison is in his care. Wow. Enter the butler and the baker. Here we go. A couple of dreams. Dreams are from God. I'll go to God. But then he interprets the dreams. Wow. And they're exactly right. So he tells the butler, look, when you go, when you get restored, please don't forget me. Bring me up to Pharaoh. I shouldn't be here. I was falsely accused. In fact, I was yanked out of the land of the Hebrews. I shouldn't be here. Don't forget me. He's forgotten for two more years. About that time, I'm an atheist. I see a lot of Christians living like atheists. They don't trust. They don't believe. But he hangs in there. He hangs in there. 
And at the right time, and in God's plan, Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer goes, whoops. I remember this guy. Two years ago, when you were mad at us, Pharaoh, and you threw us in that, in that prison, this guy interpreted our dreams. We both had dreams. He dreamed I'd be restored, and I am. And the baker, he said, be killed, and he, he's dead. And so Pharaoh calls him in. And Egypt is changed. Pharaoh is changed. The nation is saved. And not only that, his family is brought back. And Israel is saved. Because of the plan of God. The last line of chapter 41 says that famine was severe over the earth. Verse 57. And it's the same today. Spiritual famine is all over the earth. And if spiritual famine has you in its grasp, you must go to Jesus. You must confess your sin and receive him. If famine has gripped your heart, you must receive his will for your life and you must surrender and be filled. Pharaoh received Joseph's words as from the Lord and as a result, the nation was saved. You want to know how to save America? Then let it be said of every one of us and every Christian, that every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the only thing that will save a nation. It's the only thing that will patch divisions. And it's the only thing that will save the church. Are you experiencing famine? Is it time to draw the line in the sand and say, I want a life of Joseph. I want my life to experience what Joseph did. Now, you may want that, but you know, I've got to consider the, the years in prison. You know, that's the thing that I always get frustrated with these prosperity preachers. They always forget that the great Christians of the Bible often had to pay dearly. There is a price for walking with the Lord in this earth. But when you walk with the earth, when you walk with the Lord, that price is paid by him for your souls. Is it time to come to Jesus? Christians, is it time to come to Jesus? I'd like everyone to just bow their heads where you are and just ask your heart before God, Lord, am I really walking with you? Do you really have my soul? Do I really belong to you? Is there anything in me that's hindering me to 
promised before the foundation of the world. Lord Jesus, I, I come before you now and I praise you for the life of Joseph. I praise you for this man who, no matter the circumstance, pain, loneliness, rejection, false accusations, imprisonment, yet he always stayed true to you. And then when prosperity came and all the blessings you bestowed upon him, he stayed just as committed to you. Lord, I pray this morning that if there are any here struggling because they've just not been able to let go, I pray this morning that you would do a mighty work in their hearts. That today would be the day when they are liberated once and for all from themselves and can surrender completely to you. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who needs to talk or find a a way to pray and get through some of these issues that you'd bring into us, Lord. But God, just continue to bless and let your name be glorified in all of us as we go forth from this church. And all God's people said, amen. God bless. Thank you.